Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Appreciate the song choices this morning and this afternoon. It's encouraging to me, so I appreciate that very much. Thank you, Seth, for that. (laughs) I did that. Did you guys get one of these? This is uh, Donald Trump. No, it's uh, our president. These are supposed to go on gasoline pumps, (laughs) pointing at the gas price. I did that. Thank you, Seth. Philippians chapter 4, and if you're joining us today for the first time uh, in a while, we are in a series in the afternoon service that I've entitled Finding Calm in a Chaotic World and Dealing with the Issues of Anxiety and Fear that Plague So Many People, and God's Word gives us a promise Uh, but it comes with some stipulations. And there's a formula that the Apostle Paul lays out in Philippians chapter 4, how we can know something that the world cannot know, a peace, peace of God that passes understanding. In verse 4, the Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be virtue and if there be any praise think on these things those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do and the god of peace shall be with you the bible says in verse 6 here to be careful for nothing and we talked about how that word careful it means anxious or uh, full of anxiety and so in other words don't be anxious and don't be full of anxiety over anything. God doesn't want His people to live with fret. He wants less fret and more faith out of us. And anxiety is a killer. And some people say, well, I don't struggle with that. And we talked about how overconfidence is, is, gives a false sense of security, and it can be a cruel imposter in a person's life. But a lot of people struggle with fear, and they struggle with anxiety, And anxiety is a killer. It's a killer of joy that we ought to have in the Lord. Anxiety is a meteor shower of what-ifs. A lot of people live in the what-if world. What if this happens? What if that happens? And they're constantly imagining the negative. Anxiety is related to fear. Anxiety and fear are like cousins, The difference is that legitimate fear sees an actual threat while anxiety only imagines one. Anxiety steals your sleep and it steals your energy. It steals your sense of well-being and a host of other things in our life. In Philippians 4, 
verses 4 through 9, Paul lays out for us how the child of God can live with and know the peace of God. Perfect peace. Not temporary, not fleeting moments of joy or calm, but perfect peace. That is where God wants His people to live. And these six verses give us four admonitions that lead to this wonderful promise of verse 7, the peace of God that passes all understanding, that keeps or guards your heart and your mind. And the four things, which we'll not obviously get through all of them now, we're working our way through these, is first of all, celebrate God's goodness. Verse 4 calls us and tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. God is always good. Secondly, ask God for help. Verse 6, let your request be made known unto God. Thirdly, leave your concerns with the Lord. And we'll talk about what that uh, means where Paul says, with thanksgiving in verse 6. And then, ver- and then the fourth one, to meditate on good things. Verse 8 tells us to think on the things that are good and worthy of praise. This is the formula. And then he says in verse 9, these things do, and the God of peace is going to be with you. Well, we started with verse 4 and a call to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. A couple of weeks ago we said we have reasons to rejoice in the Lord. First of all, to rejoice in the Lord for His sovereignty. The fact that God is in complete control is a reason to rejoice. And when dealing with anxious thoughts, A proper understanding of the sovereignty of God in everything is huge. It's huge because anxiety is often a consequence of a perceived uh, loss of control or perceived chaos. And we said there are a couple principles to remember. Number one, anxiety increases as perceived control diminishes. If we sense that we're not in control and all these unknowns are out there in front of us, and what if this happens, and what if that happens, and I can't see the outcome, and I don't know what the end is, we become troubled. Have you ever lived like that? Have you ever experienced that? Anxiety increases as perceived control diminishes, but the second principle was this. Anxiety decreases as our understanding of God increases. In other words, the more that I understand my Heavenly Father and His character and His complete control and His love for me and His thoughts towards me, the more secure I can be in the fact that God has got it under control. Anxiety decreases as my understanding of God's love for me increases. The next time you fear the future or you're full of anxiety about anything, rejoice in the Lord that He's on the throne, that He knows that He's your Father. Fill your mind with thoughts of God from His Word and learn His character toward you. And the truth is this, friend, the mind cannot at the same time be full of God and full of fear. That's a powerful truth. Think on it. We said there was another reason to rejoice in the Lord, to rejoice in the Lord for His grace and His mercy. Lamentations 3.21 says, This I call to my mind, therefore have I hope. The prophet's remembering this. I'm recalling this to my mind, and it's giving me hope. And here it is. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. 
They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The compassion, the faithfulness, the mercy, the grace of God are all reasons to rejoice in the Lord. We can rejoice in the Lord that He is gracious, that He's compassionate, that He is merciful. What does that actually mean? Well, it means this in simple terms, that God doesn't give us everything that we actually deserve, but then He turns around and gives us all the things that we don't deserve. Amen? What do we deserve? Judgment. Death. We deserve uh, all of those Uh, The wrath of God is what we deserve, and He's merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve, but He's also gracious. And this unmerited favor of God gives us all the things that we don't deserve. That's a reason to rejoice. A happy saint is one who is at the same time aware of the severity of his sin, but also the immensity of God's grace to forgive it. Come on, people. That's another powerful truth. There's so much comfort and joy in the fact that God is merciful toward me. I understand the severity of my sin, but I also know that God's grace is greater than my sin. Rejoice in the Lord. Sin is not diminished, but neither is God's ability to forgive it. And place yourself in God's care. And as we do, completely in God's care, And as we do, we find it possible, yes, possible to be anxious for nothing. Don't be full of anxiety over anything. And the third thought for verse 4 that we'll talk about today is that the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us with your word today, that you'd encourage us with it and strengthen us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. The thought today is this. God uses everything to accomplish His will. God uses everything to accomplish His will. So, according to Verse 4, there's never a time in which we could say that God isn't good at any time or at any place. Paul urges us to rejoice in the Lord always. Even in the bad times, we can still rejoice in the Lord. In this urging of the Apostle Paul to rejoice in the Lord always is so Uh, powerful and it's profound because you know what we rejoice in the Lord on paydays we rejoice in the Lord on Fridays because the weekend is here we rejoice in the Lord on good days we'll rejoice in the Lord on birthdays but the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always always now I'm going to say it again always but with a question mark always It's easy to say when you've got all of your faculties and life is pretty easy. It's easy to say rejoice in the Lord. But what about the guy in the hospital who's now a paraplegic because of a tragic accident? Should he rejoice in the Lord? What about the dad who just lost his job in the middle of a recession and he's got a bunch of hungry mouths to feed? Should he rejoice in the Lord? What about the mother whose baby is born with severe disability that's going to completely transform and change life? 
Should she rejoice in the Lord? It's one thing to rejoice in the Lord when life is good, but what about when life seems heavy and life seems uh, overbearing and your world is completely changed and it's almost too much to bear? Should we rejoice in the Lord? Well, there's a man in the Bible who knew all about the heaviness of life, who knew all about the cruelty that life can bring. He knew all about the challenges. His name is Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph? Joseph had it pretty good in the beginning, but ultimately Joseph's family hated him. You ever experienced that? People who are supposed to love you actually hate you. They wanted to kill him. And they were gonna. But instead of killing them, they decided they could make some money off of him. And so they sold him into slavery. And they told his father that he was dead. And here's his bloody coat to prove it. He was carted off to Egypt. And Joseph was sold to the highest bidder. Even so, in all of that tragedy, Joseph still landed on his feet. He worked his way to the top of Potiphar's house. The Bible says, and Potiphar was a powerful man. The Bible says in Genesis 39:4, and Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from that time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Joseph still landed on his feet and things started to turn around in Joseph's life and he had a good job and things were going well and he had some status and some position and so on. And right when things were going really well for Joseph again, all of a sudden something tragic happens and Joseph is accused of something that he didn't do and it landed him in prison. No doubt, a dirty, a cold, and unforgiving place this prison was for Joseph. But Joseph still didn't give up hope. He became a model prisoner. He made friends. He made a good impression on the warden. Joseph was promoted again, but he's still in prison. About that time, he met two new friends from Pharaoh's court. The butler, or the cupbearer, and the baker. Those were his friends who all of a sudden had some dreams that really troubled them. They didn't understand their dreams. And those dreams they needed an interpretation for. And so Joseph interpreted those men's dreams. Well, it was bad news for the baker. Get your affairs in order because you're going to die. But it was good news for the butler. Pack your bags. You're going back to Pharaoh. Joseph asked the butler, Since you're going back to Pharaoh, maybe you could help me, and maybe you could put in a good word with Pharaoh. And the butler readily agreed, but guess what? He forgot. The Bible says in Genesis 40 and verse 21, And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. The next verse, Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. No doubt Joseph had his hopes up that things were going to turn around again, that he's going to get out of jail, 
No doubt he watched the door every day, just waiting for it to open, and he could finally be free again, but nothing. Cruelty had tipped the scales in Joseph's life once again. And for two more years, Joseph languished in prison. Two years is a long time, plenty of time to give up hope. Plenty of time for the world to turn gray. Plenty of time for those gargoyles of dread to appear in Joseph's life. Plenty of time for him to experience a lot of anxiety and potential fear. Plenty of time to wonder, is this how God treats his children? Is this God's reward for good behavior? Do your best. Try to do right. And this is what you get. A jail cell and a hard bed. The psalmist felt like that. Psalm 73 and verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain. I washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. Those out in the world don't seem to suffer. I'm trying to do right, and this is what I get. Is this how God treats his children? Maybe you've thought the same thing. Maybe you've said, I believe in God, but is God really aware of the pain that I'm going through right now? Is God really aware of the circumstances of my life? Because it sure doesn't seem like it. Does he even care? Does he care? Well, deism says no. Deism says that God created the universe, but then he walked away from it. And you're left on your own. Pantheism says no. God doesn't care. Creation doesn't have a purpose unto itself. It's just part of everything. It's meaningless. Atheism certainly says no. There's no God. Therefore, there can't be a divine plan. It's all happenstance. But true Christianity in the Bible says absolutely yes. There is a God. He does care. And not only does He exist and not only does He care, but He is personally and powerfully involved in every aspect of His creation. Hebrews 1 and verse 3 says, "...who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things..." All things by the word of his power. That word upholding in this verse, it means to bear. It means to carry. It means to bring forth. And it's in the, very, it's in the present tense right now. And what it implies to us is that Jesus, who is God, is continually active in his creation. And he's going to bring it forth unto his perfect end and his perfect will. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. The word consist means to hold together. In other words, if God were to step back, creation would collapse. Acts 17.28 says, For in Him we live, we move, we have our being in Him. Because of him, the waters stay wet, the rocks stay firm. Because of him, the laws of gravity and the laws of thermodynamics don't ever change from generation to 
generation. Because of him, we have our being. We move with his hand firmly in control of the universe in spite of when it seems chaotic. Guess what? Spring still follows winter. Year after year. Winter follows autumn year after year. There's an order in the universe because he sustains everything. Say, okay, pastor, what's the point? I get it. The point is this, and this is crucial to remember. So remember this. He uses everything to accomplish his will. Ephesians 1, in verse 11, says, "...in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will." He worketh all things, even the bad things, after the counsel of his own will. Verse 12 says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ." So he works all things after the counsel of his own will. And here's the reason. So that we would be to the praise of his glory who trusted in Christ. He works all things. All things. And secondly, our purpose and his will is that we are able to be the praise of his glory. In other words, the things that happen in your life, even though they may be bad, have a purpose, and the purpose is to bring God glory. God is the one who causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. Read Matthew 5.45. God is the one who feeds the birds and watches over the sparrows. Matthew 6.26. Therefore, if God is the one who's in charge of everything, even the details of life, and God isn't making stuff up as he goes, did you know that? God doesn't make stuff up as he goes. God didn't wind up the clock and then walk away from it. No, God the Almighty, the Almighty God rules in His kingdom. He rules over the kingdom of men. He sets them over it as He will, the Bible says. Psalm 75, 6 says, Promotion cometh neither from the east nor the west, nor from the south, but God, who is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. Jeremiah 30, 24 says, The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until He have done it and until He have performed the intents of His heart. Man, those are starchy words. That He works all things after the counsel of His will. That He putteth down one and setteth up another until He perform the intents of His heart. What does that say to you and me? Those are terms that tell us that God doesn't only exist but that he also has a plan, and he's in total and complete control. That's what it tells us. So here's a question. If God is in charge, and he loves his children, then why was Joseph treated so badly and thrown in prison for so long? Why does God permit challenges and hurts to come our way? Wouldn't a loving God prevent those things? Here's the answer. Not if they serve a higher purpose. His purpose. 
Remember the rest of Joseph's story? We saw the bad there. But the rest of Joseph's story goes like this. When Pharaoh was troubled by his own dreams, the butler, who was just promoted or restored to his job, remembered Joseph and remembered his request. Hey, I know a guy. I know a guy who can interpret dreams. And so he mentions Joseph to Pharaoh. And just as fast as you can say providence, Joseph went from prison to the palace. Joseph interpreted the dream of Pharaoh, which forecasted great famine. In so doing, Pharaoh promoted Joseph to prime minister. And Joseph successfully navigated that crisis by the good hand of the Lord. And he saved not only the Egyptians, but he saved Jacob's family too. And years later, Joseph would tell his brothers, and I love this verse, Genesis 50 and verse 20, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. And here's the main application that I want to give you today. There are two words in the heart of that verse that reveal to us the heart of providential hope. The words are, but God. Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God. What was intended as harm became good because of God. Because Joseph kept God in the middle of his horrible circumstance, he was able to see the good hand of the Lord in it all. And here's where we miss the boat. We don't keep God in the middle of our horrible circumstance. And we can't see uh, and grab onto those two words, but God. Joseph viewed the sufferings of his life through the lens of God's divine providence. And friend, can I urge you, can I urge you, can I urge you, do the same thing. If you don't, anxiety is going to stalk you every day of your life. Quite honestly, I don't, I don't know how the world does it, how unbelievers cope with their stress. A lot of them don't. They end up taking their own life. Have you noticed the rash of suicides lately? What relieves their anxiety? Yoga? I don't think so. Deep breathing exercises? Probably not. Stress relief candles, have you ever seen those? And people put them up, these little crystals all over their windows and around their doors. And... Is that what's going to do it? On the other hand, God's sovereignty bids us fight this war and the onslaught of fret with these powerful words. But God... It goes something like this. The company is downsizing and I'm losing my job in the middle of a recession and severe inflation. But God is still my father. 
The cancer is back. But God still occupies his throne. Joseph's brothers had every intention of doing harm to Joseph, but God, in his providence, used their intended evil for ultimate good. And you know what's interesting about this? God never robbed his brothers of their free will. He didn't impose his nature on them. But neither did he allow their sin and sin nature to end up ruling the day. He rerouted their evil into good. Why? Because he's sovereign. He can. That's why. What's the point? The point is this, that God uses all things to bring about his purpose. And he can do the same even in your pain. I'm sorry for the pain that life has given you. I'm sorry if you had parents that neglected you. I'm sorry if you've had your heart broken a time or two in life. Haven't we all? I'm sorry if you experience abuse in some way, whether that's physical or emotional. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry if you were mocked. I'm sorry if you were invalidated. I'm sorry if you were unfairly dismissed, if you were treated wrongly. I'm sorry for your pain. But the story of Joseph ought to teach us something. It should teach us this. We have a choice in the way that we respond. We have a choice. We can wear our hurt or we can wear our hope in God. We can outfit ourselves in misfortune and woe is me, or we can clothe ourselves in the care of God. We can cave in the chaos of life, or we can lean hard into the perfect plan of God who loves me and I can trust him. We can believe the promise of Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to what? His purpose. That's pretty powerful. Rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Because he's good, he's God, and he wants glory out of our life. Not long ago, I used an illustration. The illustration of H.G. Spafford. That's a good illustration, I'm going to use it again. H.G. Spafford was an attorney in the 18, late 1800s, 1871 era, He was a great Christian man. He was a friend of D.L. Moody. He experienced tragic loss in the Chicago fires. And after the Chicago fire, Spafford sent his family to England. And he planned to join them later where they would tour Europe together. But it was on the way over to England that the ship that was carrying his family ran into another ship and ended up sinking in the ocean. All of his daughters were drowned. 
and only his wife survived. And he received a cable one day from Wales with these words on it. I survived alone. What should I do? It was from his wife. Later on, he found out what happened, that the ship sank and all of his daughters died. He left immediately to go to her side, and he crossed over the ocean, directly over where his daughters had drowned. And as he did, God gave this grief-stricken man some insight and inspiration to write the lyrics to the great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. When you sing those words, understand what they mean. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, or when sorrows, like sea billows, roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. Spafford had what Paul was talking about. The peace of God that passeth all understanding. And may we so trust in the good hand of the Lord that he doeth all things well. Even the things that are hard and painful and sometimes we feel are bad, What's the purpose? What's the point? The purpose and the point is so that we can say, I can rejoice in the Lord always because He's a good God. Amen? That's how we end up having peace and calm in a chaotic world. By rejoicing and celebrating the goodness of God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd encourage us today. No doubt there are hearts that are hurting, turmoil, anxiety, fretting, fear, pain. Lord, encourage us with these truths that God is always good, And that you work all things for good to them that love God. And even in the middle of our hurts and our pains, we can choose how we're going to respond. We can wear that hurt or we can wear our hope in the Lord. We can understand that the trial of our faith is more precious than gold. And it works for us a far more eternal, exceeding weight of glory. There's something in it that you want to use to grow us that we can glorify you. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us not to languish in worry or fear, but learn to rejoice in the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.